0: Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. If you're doing fantastic, I want you to give a big round of applause. It's okay to be excited about this. Man. And if you're a guest here today, we want to say thanks for being here. We've been involved in a series called Identity, and we have taken a look literally since Easter Sunday morning about our identity, where identity is found. We looked at scriptures that talked about brand new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. We looked at it, we're more than conquerors, and so it's exciting what's going on here. And it's been every week, um, as I've been going through and teaching, um, uh, whether it's been here or Sherwood a couple weeks ago, I've had something that happened during the course of the week that made me kind of remember why we're doing this series and how important this series is because I think all of us, if we'd be honest with each other, struggle at times with our identity, who we are, what God's designed us to be. And so um, a lot of us live in that. But it was this week I was at um, Ironwood Tavern uh, right up here in Riverwood, and I was having lunch with uh, one of our our volunteers from down our Sherwood campus. His name is Napoleon, and that's his real name, Napoleon. So it's really cool when you, you know, when you say his name in public because everybody goes, Napoleon, like so... So I'm sitting there, and I'm, just a confession, let's just raise your hand if you, if you know what I'm at. I have issues, anybody else have issues? My issues have babies, and then some. Um, and I'm one of those guys that has to look at the door wherever I'm at. I can't have my back to the door, I have to be looking at the door, I need to see who's coming in. Anybody else besides me? Okay, we have a support group at CR starting uh, next week, don't we, for that? So I'm, excited. I'm gonna lead that one, by the way, it's gonna be fantastic. So I'm sitting at Sherwood, and um this mask thing is driving me nuts anybody else like it's just it's because you can't see if they're smiling you can't see well i'm finding out you can't even really tell who they are so this guy walks in like and from here up i'm like hey man how you doing like i'm giving him the the hot and he's looking at me like a deer in headlights like who are you that's so why i said hey man like how you been it's been a long time since i've seen you hope you're feeling good how was your surgery and he's looking at me like, dude, you can at least say hi. And I'm getting like a little upset. And the guy across, from Napoleon's looking at me like, I don't think you know him. And so he's, he's not paying me any mind, not even really paying attention to me. But he kind of walks a little bit, kind of, and there's a bunch of guys there. And I was like, okay, if you're not going to say hi, it's okay, don't worry. And he pulls his mask down, and it's not who I thought it was. So I was like, oh, man. So I, I, we left, and I went back, because the guy was still sitting there. I went back, I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry, like, like, I thought you were my friend, Van. And he goes, oh, you mean Van so-and-so? I was like, yeah, you know Van. He goes, yeah, from here up, we look a lot alike, don't we? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and so, identity. And where identity can be found. And here is the real truth that all of us. It's kind of like a, like, we may hide behind a physical mask at times, but a lot of us hide behind a spiritual mask. Um, sometimes it's jobs, sometimes it's relationships, sometimes it's, you know, Whatever sometimes it's even in religion. I've known people that have hid behind religion as their mask. And I was thinking about it over the last couple of weeks. There's, there's, there's a couple vignettes in the Bible that I feel like really kind of show us a glimpse of what our identity should be found in. And if, you, if you'll give me a couple minutes, I want to go back to that moment in time. It was actually Good Friday. It was Good Friday about 2,000 years ago. And I think our 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 identity can be found in two basins. And depending on what basin you want to see your life in it will depend a lot what your identity is found in. And the first one is a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate. Uh, He was woken up probably about six o'clock in the morning by the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. But they had this guy that was walking around town claiming to be a king and so in in Roman government, that was a real no-no. Like, you don't claim to be a king, and you don't claim to be a god. If you claim to be a god, that's a death penalty. You claim to, to be a king, there's all kinds of punishments that you'll end up going through. And so he walks up at about 6 a.m., and, and he looks at this guy, and he says, who are you? And, and he's, just, he's just standing, you know, just just kind of sitting there. And he goes, I hear your name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he kind of, kind of shook his head a little bit, and he goes, are you, in fact, claiming to be the king of the Jews? And he said... In a quiet voice, just a still moment, he just said, I am who you say I am. Could you imagine that? crowd's furious. I mean, they literally want to crucify him right then. They're yelling, yelling crucify him. Pontius Pilate said, listen, here's the deal. This is a Roman government thing. This This isn't just a local governor thing, so we're gonna send him to Herod. So they send him off to Herod, and when he gets to Herod, they rough him up a little bit, so he comes back. And he's in Pontius in his, in, his, in his castle or in his, in his building. And you can tell his face is a little bit swollen. And they obviously had a good time beating him up. They placed a purple robe on him, kind of mocking. And they literally put the, the crown of thorns on his head. And he's sitting across from, from Jesus. And he tells him, he said, do you realize that I've got to do something. There's some, type of, there's some type of punishment that you're going to have. So he once again asked the crowd, and he said, what, what should we do with this guy? And they say, crucify him, crucify him. And he goes, I can't. It's against the Roman government. He said, but what I will do is I'll have him flogged. So they take him out in the streets, and they start flogging him. And that's the whip that has the, the cat of many tails. It's got the, literally the claws. They're made of metal and glass and rock. And they would uh, you know, kind of whip him into the, the victim's back, and would snatch out whole pieces of, of flesh. And while Jesus is being flogged, Pilate's just sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden he gets a note, and it's from his wife Claudia. And Claudia said, I had a dream last night, and you better be careful because the man that you're getting ready to do something with is innocent. So Jesus comes back after being flogged, and now it's, he's almost unnoticeable. And he goes, okay, I have flogged him and the Sanhedrin, and all the religious leaders are sitting there. I've done exactly what the government tells me I should do. He, his punishment is accounted for. And they said, no, 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 no. We want a crucifixion. We want him crucified. And this is where we see the first basin. Pilate tells his slave to bring him water. The Bible tells us that Pilate poured it in to the basin. And he, does, he says, I just want you to know, when I get done doing this, the blood of this person is on your head. The blood of this person is on your children and your children's ch- children. It's the exact opposite of what Numbers chapter six says, where the blessings on our children and our children's children in generations to come. He's before us, he's behind us. He's Literally, Pilate is going, I am washing my hands. Almost theatrical. And he lifts his hands up in the air as a symbol that his blood is not on my hands anymore. He then motions for his slave to bring him a towel and carefully wipes every one of his fingers off. You know, I was wondering this past week as I was reading this story, because there's another basin that happens the same exact day. Jesus, within a 24-hour period, is actually upstairs in an upper room, a borrowed upper room. And I can imagine, because some of Jesus' followers were in the crowd while they were yelling, crucify him. And I, I wonder when Pilate dipped his hands in that basin, if they were going, we saw another basin last night. It was a totally different basis. It was a totally different mentality. As a matter of fact, when they walked in the room, they were looking around, all the disciples were looking around, who's going to wash my feet? Because usually there was a slave stationed at the pot where somebody would wash their feet. And, and they were looking at each other. I can almost imagine Peter's going, no, it's going to be John. And John's going, no, no, it's going to be Peter. And Peter's saying, oh, no, I think it's going to be Timothy. And, or Timothy's going to be Nathaniel. It's going to be somebody else. And nobody, nobody rises to the occasion to wash feet. It's interesting because we have to know history. This is really, really important. We have to know and understand the history of the event that's taking place. Now, Palestine in this time was disaster. It was, it was nasty. It was a slum. Unlike Rome where they had cobblestone, this was nothing but dirt everywhere you went. And so when, 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 when people were walking from, from one place to another, the, the, from here up was fine, but down below, it was just funk. It was caked on dirt, and you can imagine there was animals that were walking on the street, so they were occasionally walking, so feet were important. And what would happen in history is they would walk into a room, and there would be a slave that was sitting there. And the slave was actually almost like this. It was an act of hospitality. It was saying that you were welcome here and I'm gonna wash your feet, kind of like this. If you came over to my house in the wintertime and you had a heavy Patagonia jacket on, I would take it as a sign of hospitality and I would hang it up. That's exactly what feet washing was. It's interesting, we have taken it all out of context in the church world. I remember going to a camp every year for high school students and the leaders had to wash each other's feet. And at the end of washing, we were going, why do we do it? Because Jesus told us to do that. There's so much more than just Jesus telling us to do that. So you have the history part of it. You have the the concept that there was a slave. And then you have, you have the slave that wasn't there. But greater than that, we watched the boss stand up, didn't we? Could you imagine going into work tomorrow and your boss saying, hey, I want you to come in the conference room real fast. And as you walk into the conference room, you see he has a shoe shining kit. He has shoe shining the, the, the stuff that you put on, the, 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 the lacquer and all that. And he has a rag and he has a brush and he goes around the circle to every employee and he, and he kind of shines their shoes up. Jesus, the boss, stands up because nobody else is there to stand up. Jesus, the, the Bible says, instead of grabbing the slave to do it like this basin, he was the slave that did it. And he takes off his priestly garments and he pours it into the basin and then he puts the towel And he bends down and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. We have history, we have the slave, and then we have the boss doing something that somebody else should be doing. And I believe in this story, in these stories, we see the difference between power and arrogance and pride, and to be quite honest, a coward. And then we see a servant leader that Jesus has declared to the world that we're supposed to be like. And as we're gonna read today, when we're not like him in this, there's no blessings coming. And if I was to ask for a show of hands right now and asked how many people would love to be blessed, the majority of the people in this room would raise their hand and say, I wanna be blessed. Well, today I'm gonna give you what I think is a definition of blessed and how to be blessed in our life. Can we pray together first? Heavenly Father, in this moment, what a powerful story. God, today, though, I want to look at not the house, not the history, not the why the slave wasn't there, not, not why did Jesus have to, but why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus, in the midst of the night that was the most traumatic night he was going to have, why did he, in that moment, why did he wash disciples' feet? Why did he get down on his knees? Why did he take his priestly garments off? Why did he become a servant? And God, how am I supposed to apply that to my life? I pray that our hearts would be open to receive everything you want to say. I pray that our our minds would be sharp and be listening to what your Holy Spirit is speaking to us individually. And God, I pray, I pray, God, that our ears would not only just hear it, but they would apply it and that our feet would take it to the world that we need to take it to. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Why did Jesus do it? Did you ever think about that? I think one of the reasons as you peel it back that you've got to identify is Jesus washed feet to show the full extent of his love. He was trying to show the world exactly who he was because they were expecting a king. Remember just a week before that was Palm Sunday and they were going, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were declaring by putting palm branches on that he was a king, that he was gonna come in on a donkey's colt. But he wanted to show them what a real king acted like. Could you imagine if one of our politicians in the world we lived in today bent down on a knee and started washing feet, how that would change our culture? Or maybe one of our religious leaders, they bent down instead of got up on the pulpit and screamed and shouted, if they got down on a bended knee and took a rag to wash the disciple or other disciples' feet, what would happen? That's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. In John 13, because there's two accounts, there's a Matthew account, and there's a John. We're going to take a look at John today. And it says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and I love this, he loved them to the end. I want you to kind of bookmark that if you have a a pencil underline or a pen underline, but I'm going to read it in a second in NIV, which I think it gives it even more clarity what he's talking about. In verse two, it says, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse one in the NIV says it like this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I think this was the launching pad for what was gonna happen the next day. He was showing him, this is what a servant looks like to the point of laying down my life. In a few hours, I'm gonna give my life over. He literally said, remember Pilate, one of the accusations was, I will destroy this temple and I will rebuild this temple. He's literally getting ready to show them what he's talking about. I'm gonna be a servant, but I'm gonna destroy this temple. It's not them that are taking me, it's me that's giving myself over. He was laying down his life. You know, we need to realize this. This is the great, greatest example of love that we've, we, we would ever see in the course of history. There's no other time in the course of history where we see a, a greater act of submission and kindness. Matthew chapter 20 says like this, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve Hey, here's the deal. Can I be honest with you? I think one of the things that Journey does real good is we have created a serving culture at Journey. Like we know what serving looks like. Whether it's sitting out front, shaking somebody's hand, or if it's passing out, you know, elements, or if it's a security team, or you know, visiting home, whatever it is, I think we've done a fantastic job. I think we teach that well here at Journey. But I've got to go on record, and I'm the one that's at fault. We have done a really poor job of reminding ourselves that Jesus came into this world to serve us. Now, some of you are already having an issue with that. Some of you are going, mmm, that don't sound right. Yeah, it is right. He didn't come, he didn't come to be the king that everybody was looking for. He came to show us what a king looked like. If you want to read a really good book, there's a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. It's a fantastic book, and he tells these three vignettes that are in there, and it's about post-Vietnam War. But one of them is called Three Seasons, and there's two main characters. There's Hai and Lan, and Hai is a, a cyclo, uh, um, a rickshaw. Uh, he drives a rickshaw, and 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 Han is a um, a, a, a prostitute. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Lan is a, a prostitute, and every night she leaves whatever she's doing in the high-rise places she's at. Longing to live there, but she knows it's just another night that she's got to go back to the slums. Well, the two of them fell in love. It was one of the most awkward moments because when she told him, right away, his heart leaped out of his chest because he wanted to do something about it. We ends up winning a race and he wins the race and he takes his money, and he literally buys for the night. He buys this girl in. He takes her to this high rise apartment. He gives her the finest clothes. She's got people taking care of her at her every whim. Whatever she needs, they're taking care of her. She's laying down in the bed, and, and, and the words come out of her mouth, just go ahead and do what you're supposed to do with me. You've already paid the money. And he goes, I'm doing exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna watch you sleep. And I'm gonna have you lay down without anybody coming, without anybody attacking you, without anybody destroying your ego, without your pride. I'm just gonna let you have one night At first, she was a little overwhelmed. But then she started to realize, in fact, this guy had her best interests in mind. And instead of wanting to power over her, he was wanting to be a servant to her. And all of a sudden, the transition happened. It's kind of the transition that we have, isn't it? See, God didn't come to destroy us. God didn't come to power over us. Jesus didn't come to the earth to be a ruler. He came to be a servant couple years ago, there was a, a book that came out, and maybe some of you, if you're my age, you may remember. How many people have been around church a long time, like 20 years? How many people remember the, the book, The Prayer of Jabez? Okay, so some of you do that. First service, they were like one person. Hard to tell a story when only one person understands it, so. But I was telling a story because one of the lines in The Prayer of Jabez is, Lord, bless me. And everybody's like, oh, you can't pray that, you can't pray that. That's, that's, you know, that's the prosperity movement, that's, that's materialistic. No, it's not, it's biblical. God wants to bless us. God wants to minister to us. When we're hurting, he wants to come to our rescue. When we need forgiveness, he wants to forgive us. When we need mercy, he wants to give us mercy. When we're hurt and need to be healed, he wants to heal the hurt. And, and somebody of us think, you know, whoa, 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 hold on a second. There's, there, that's, not, that's not the God that I read in the Bible. Well, maybe you're reading the, the wrong place in the Bible. Because everywhere I read in the Bible, it talks about how God loves us, how, about he, how he left his heavenly place to come down here to do something for us. The message talks about in Philippians, and we sang a song exactly about this. He had equal status with God, but didn't think of himself, much of himself, that he had to cling to the advantages and status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, and he took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death of all, a crucifixion. He demonstrated what he came to the earth to do right there. So if you have a problem with it, you have a problem with the gospel you have a problem with what God wanted to do. Here's what I'm learning. And this is really important when we understand what Jesus came to do. You can't give what you don't have. I'm gonna say it another way. If you don't have Jesus, you can't give Jesus out. If you don't have forgiveness, you can't give forgiveness out. If you, don't have, if you don't have whatever the kindness that God only brings, if you don't have the, the, you know, the, the, the thing, the self, you can't give it out. And so it's important that we receive from God that we understand what he came to do. So here's a question. and I'm being really honest right now. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to tell your spouse. But what do you need God to do? Where do you need God to minister to you? Is it in your marriage? Maybe it's not awful, but it's not where you want it to be. Why don't you ask him? I said, God, can you, can you minister to our marriage? Can you serve our marriage? Can somehow or another, we get the mind of Christ in this situation. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your time. Maybe it's in a relationship with your kid. What areas of our lives do we need Jesus to get down on a knee and, and serve us and wash our feet and wash us from top to bottom? Which leads me to the next thing. And people laugh at this and we kind of give Peter a hard time. Man, after understanding and reading this over and over again, I have an absolute new, just a new new love for Peter. And man, Jesus is amazing because this is the next thing we gotta get. Jesus washed feet to demonstrate what a life of faith looks like. See, so many of us, we look at whatever's on TV or whatever's on stage or whatever is, you know, one of our favorite singers, and we go, oh, that's what the Christian life looks like. That's not what the Christian looks like. That's what Christian celebrity looks like. Christian life looks exactly what Jesus did. Listen to what, he came to Simon Peter. Now watch this who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm going to do, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you're going to get this. You're going to understand this. Peter said to him, you shall never, ever, ever wash my feet. But you want to talk about a, a sign of self, a, a, a false humility? It's right there. You'll never wash my feet. You'll, I don't really need you. I got, I got this. How many times have we said that to Jesus? I got this. I got this. I got this thing with my kids. I got it. I got this thing with my marriage. I got this thing with my money, my career. I got this. And Jesus goes, Whoa, 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 whoa! He said, "You shall never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, "If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Meaning, you don't know who I am. I've got to wash you. It's, it's, it's part of the process." Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head." Jesus said to him, "The one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for the feet. But it's completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you. Judas, you're not." For he knew who was gonna betray him, and that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. Watch this. We think it's talking about a physical cleaning, and Jesus is talking about a spiritual healing. Peter's thinking, Oh, you can't wash my, you can't wash it. He goes, Whoa, 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 whoa. This is symbolic of what's happening on the inside of you. I'm about to demonstrate to you what it means to be clean from the inside out, not the outside in. And so many times in our lives, we don't even think that we need Jesus to do that. I I was at a conference. A couple years ago, a big pastors' conference. Um, I got asked to go to the conference. It was a special kind of, and it really served as a reminder that day um, that, that that so many times we think life and ministry and everything is about us, right? Like like so, the, the preacher gets up there. This is what he says. He, he says, "I do all the work, and God gets all the glory." Now I. Because if that lightning bolt's coming down, I get what he was saying, and everybody in the place went bananas. You're like, yeah, no. Can I let you know a secret? God didn't get a deal when he got Bobby Smith. He got a disaster. He got a dumpster fire. You know that? Anybody else know that? The Bible says there's no one good. No one. And if we ever come to Jesus going, you got a good one right here. Like, Jesus, did you hear that tweet today? That was a tweetable moment right there. Without Jesus, my life is a dumpster fire. And Jesus, did you get off the phone when I said, did you, did you like, that's a really good one. Never heard that one before. Spot on. But you know, there's lots of people in the world that think it's like this. Lots of people I have a tendency to hang out with have a misconception about plate full, plate empty. A lot of us think that we have a plate full, that our life is all these great gifts that we're giving to God and turning them over, when what I'm finding out is it's a really empty plate that I'm asking Jesus to fill up. And take those few morsels that are on this plate and turn them into something. That's why last week was so important because it didn't say that I am Bobby's masterpiece created to do good works in Bobby. It's I am his masterpiece created to do great works in him. But somehow or another, we've missed this, we just messed, we messed this whole thing up, and we think that, that God's really getting, you know, even at this, not, not by show of hands, I know what happens, okay, but like we fail. Like anybody ever failed before? You can raise your hand this one. Anybody ever failed before? Just a couple of us? Okay, good. Like, just I'm just checking yeah, I'm just checking. Like, I failed a couple minutes ago before I walked around the stage, but just want to make sure that we're all on the same show. And and I know nobody in this service, but first service, they're not as spiritual as you guys are. So they've probably done this. I know I've done this, okay? So I've literally tried to bribe God out of my sin. Come on now. I'm gonna put a little extra money in the basket. And I flip it over so the person getting the buckets, when we used to do buckets, could see that check. Or (laughs) I'm really gonna serve because my guilt. See, even that we have all messed up. There's nothing we can do to clean ourselves up. There's no amount of bribe money. There's no amount of work we can do. There's no tithe. There's no, there's no service you can do. You can't, you know, there's nothing you can do that impresses God. Because everything that He sees comes straight through the cross. And if it goes any other way, it's not a Him. See, th- that's why that song that we were singing this morning, I want more of you and less of me, is so important. Because when I put me in the equation, I mess up a lot. When I put all Him in the equation, I am destined for success. Let me give you a third thing. Jesus washed feet as an example for us to follow. Think about that for a second. In verse 12, when he washed their feet and he put the outer garments on, he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for that's what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also wa- should wash others' feet. For I have given you an example that you, you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Remember I said blessed, you wanna be blessed? There it is right there. One of the ways we are blessed by God is when we do, when we're obedient to the things he tells us to, to be obedient to. I love that passage. Over the years, I've had some unique experiences. Maybe not like some of you, but I've known some high-profile people. There, there, there's been a couple, a couple people, like a couple preachers I've had to have lunch with. I had a chance a couple years ago to hang out with Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley and 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 and, and um um what's the guy from Elevation Stephen Furtick um and um, Andy Stanley and 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 Craig Rochelle were amazing. I had a chance to hang out with him. Um, I know a couple, couple people that are pretty big worship leaders. I, I had a chance years ago to go lunch and, and hung out several times with Jay DeMarcus. Anybody know who Jay DeMarcus is? Yes, you do. The Rascal Flats. Jay DeMarcus, oh, him. You thought I was going spiritual on you. No, he's not a preacher. He's a bass player. And I met him 25 years ago. And so we stayed in contact and we, we know each other a little bit. I, I thought, but you know what I found out? A lot of them think they're real superstars. And a lot of them think they're real rock stars. And what's happened is it's kind of filtered into the church. And we think because they sing a song or they do a... I actually was talking to Alan um, before service. I've always wanted to do this. Just channel my inner T.D. Jakes for a second. Um Alan was saying that somebody, I don't know who it was, and it's not, I'm not saying this to offend anybody, but it was like, can you get us backstage at Journey? If you want to go backstage at Journey, all it is is a bunch of wires. <laughs> there's nothing behind the curtain. Well, there is something, but there's nothing behind the curtain. And I love the fact that our worship team, somebody say amen to this, it's not a bunch of rock stars, they're a bunch of worshipers. Amen. And we see it week after week after week. And if you want to see the real worshipers, come at seven o'clock when they're practicing and still worshiping. That's when it really happens. Unfortunately, it happens though. We think we become so important that we forget that we're called to serve just like Jesus served. Maybe it's because we get so busy. It happened to me a couple years ago, right before COVID actually started. And I was running out of here and I was running across the atrium because I heard that somebody made homemade pancakes. I'm just being honest, okay? You want authenticity? Here it is, right? Jason, the pancakes around here are amazing, aren't they? So you have to run as fast as you can. Otherwise, the little piglets eat them all up and you, there's nothing left for me. So I'm running across, and this is not exaggeration, okay? It's not a preacher thing. I'm running across. I was probably not going to get, it was not because of pancakes, okay? So I am a little I'm running across. And this guy stops me, an older gentleman. And he says, Bobby, you have a second. And and this is what I said. Not right now. Can I call you tomorrow? And I went about four more steps or five more steps, and I felt like somebody hit me in the back of the head with a two-by-four. And I I remember how it went down. I walked back to the guy. And as I'm walking back to the guy, he's standing there, and I can tell he had... He had some tears in his eyes. And I grabbed him by the hands. No, I need your other hand. You <laughs> Awkward moments of journey. <laughs> I grabbed him by hand and I looked him in his eye. And I asked for his forgiveness. And I said, I'm sorry that you felt like for that second, I was too busy to take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And he said, Pastor Bob, I just need to pray for me. I was diagnosed with cancer yesterday. you could have kicked me in the shins right there. Knocked me over. You could have shot me with a gun and it wouldn't have hurt as much as that moment right there. Because it was the moment that I realized what God has called us to do. He has called us to be a servant. He says, whenever you do this, it's done as an example. So he literally says, in, in work, in our houses, in our families, in, in whatever environments we have, he's called us, to somehow or another, symbolically, wash disciples' feet, wash people's feet around us. He's called us to slow down and make sure the needs of the people around us are being taken care of. Just to be honest with you, you know what else this moment does? It breaks pride in me. It breaks ego in me. And all of us have times and moments in our lives where we need our pride and our ego broken. I was listening uh, to a story about a story about a tightrope walker. Um his name was Nick Walenda. You've probably seen him on TV. He's done some really crazy things, but a couple of years ago he decided he was gonna he was gonna tightrope across the Grand Canyon. And I don't know why, but he did it. And then he he tightroped across Niagara Falls. And so he gets done, and there's all these people, they're tearing down all the tightropes and everything, and they see this guy over in the corner, and he's got a trash bag, and he's got one of those spikes, and he's just picking up trash, and they're thinking, well, all the the team has come in to clean up after. And one of the guys goes, man, you were the guy that was just on the tightrope. He says, what are you doing down here? He says, this is one of the acts that I do. It takes me about three hours because it keeps me humble. It keeps me from having an ego. And they came here to serve me and I'm serving them by cleaning them up. A couple weeks ago, um, right before Easter, I had a chance to go to uh, Disney World. And... Um, that I'm constantly growing and learning as a leader from business models that are outside of church, but there was a business model that I didn't know that they started down there, which is absolutely amazing. And I noticed it. I was walking around and if you're just regular cast, you have a shirt that says, and your, your, your badge says cast and whatever area you're in, Pirates of Caribbean or wherever you're cast. But if you're, if you're a, a big dog, if, like, if you're like a manager, you don't have to wear all that stuff and you wear a suit and tie, but you have credentials around your, and, and, and there's a sticker they have. Well, I noticed something this time. I, I've gone probably every three or four years to Disney World, and I noticed as they're walking around, they're, they have these little grabbers, these garbage grabbers. And, and, and it's, it's every person from top to bottom. So if you're the president of the company all the way down to the person that literally is the janitor, you're, you're, you're walking around with these little things. So because I have no problem talking to anybody, I asked a question. I said, so what's the, what's the deal with this? Like, like, help me lean into why you guys are doing this. And they said the culture around Disney started getting, getting toxic where we thought that we were better than everybody else. When managers thought they were better, they were just gonna give assignments out. And the president of the company has started with him. He started serving the rest of us. He literally walks around to one park a day for a period of a couple hours and he cleans up all the areas. He picks the trash up and he puts it in. And he said, it's developed a new culture here at Disney World that we're gonna be servants to the people around it. Why isn't the church doing that? Why aren't the greatest in the church walking around with garbage picker-uppers? Why, 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 why isn't the greatest in the church bending down and washing disciples' feet? Why is the greatest in the church not serving humanity? There's a, we sang it. There's people that are dying to know who Jesus is. And he says, this is one way. Every time you do this, we make him famous. Well, what would happen if we did it in every environment that our lives touch? Let's pray. So much of life can be told through the stories of the two basins. A basin of power and authority, having a slave do the work for him, making it more symbolic, theatrical, so people can see what he's doing. Or Jesus doing it in an upper room where only the closest of the close saw him. Where he says, I want to be the one that lays down my life. And God, we're in so many different levels of of people in this room right here. Some of us today are, 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 for maybe the very first time, Deciding to let Jesus literally serve them, that they're understanding maybe for the first time that Jesus came so they can have freedom or they can have forgiveness or they can have grace or they can have mercy or they can have restoration, whatever it looks like. And so God, I pray that those conversations are happening all across every environment that we have, whether it's here on campus, if it's online, if it's down in Sherwood, Atrium, wherever, God, that those conversations are happening. And for others, God, I pray it's maybe the first time and as next week we flesh this out even more, God, as we look at the kind of the, 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 the nuts and bolts of serving at Journey and how, how people can literally um, take off the priestly garments, how they can get on a knee and how they can wash uh, uh, people's feet around this place, God, I pray that so many of us would be would deeply convicted today to not just come to church, but be the church. And God, others that maybe you're called and calling to step it up to a whole new that there's mission and ministry for people to do in this room, that the world's waiting for them to take that place and do that. God, I pray that you would minister to all of us today, that your Holy Spirit would fill every nook and cranny of our lives so we would know who you are and what you've called us to do, that our identity would be found in the same thing that your identity was found in, servant. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at, at journeycommunity.net.